Welcome to MDASH. I'm Kim Aquaviva. Today's episode, Safe Passport, featuring Dr. Majida El-Bana. Tell us a little bit about yourself, some of the words that you use to describe yourself in terms of your identities. Uh, thank you, Kim, for inviting me for um, this interview. And um, it's my pleasure to talk about um, different topics in this interview. You know, I guess I can describe myself as a female, nursing professor, mother, Muslim, and maybe lastly, as a workaholic. How have those identities shaped your experience of difference, or have they? You know, I think um, my identities have been evolved over the years, and um, I believe identities are not static. Uh, they are um, the results of continuous interaction with the environment. Why I lived in a few countries and different cultures, I think that shaped my identities and made a difference where I lived as well. I believe as I grow older, I discover new things about myself and how I identify myself through the experiences um, I face uh, in my life. Um, for instance, you know, um, maybe being a female at one point of my life when I was uh, a school of um, nursing dean and I found I was the only woman in the dean's council, I became very aware of my identity as a woman. I think at that time I worked harder than ever to be sure that um, I'm doing something. It should be at higher level, uh, so people would not say, oh, because she's a woman, she was not able to do so-and-so. However, maybe that was my perception, and uh, people did not view it like this, but at that time, being a female was the biggest um, thing um, of my identity. Um, another example, um, uh, being a Muslim here in a country um, which Muslims are not a majority, I learned to be cautious and explain some of my behaviors related to my religion so my action would not be interpreted incorrectly. Um, for instance, uh, if someone offered me a food that I cannot eat, um, I explicitly say to that person that I'd love to eat any food you are offering me, but I'm not allowed to eat this kind of food as per my religion instructions. I, um, I feel people will be more comfortable around me when I've, I inform them I do things to follow my religion and nothing is personal. Um, I feel that strategy helped others also to be comfortable around me. Um, the other thing I think uh, family plays big roles who you are and your identity. Uh, my parents always, always believed in us and boosted our self-confidence. No matter what, we can always fulfill our dreams. And always, my parents were um, very supportive. Um, uh, when I and my husband planned to continue our doctoral degree here in the U.S., uh, at that time there was no doctoral degree in nursing in my country. My husband and myself uh, both received scholarships sponsoring our doctoral study in the U.S. 
Um, at that time, um, I had two and a half year son and six months uh, uh, old daughter. And I, my, my husband, we were planning to, stay, to start our study. It seemed to be impossible that we can afford and manage our study at that time with the kids. So I had these moments of doubt. It is not always true I can fulfill my dreams. At that time, my parents were calling me almost every day that you cannot give away your dreams and you, we will support you by any means. While I'm the oldest in the family and I have few brothers and sisters, and <laughs> maybe I'll tell you the number later, how many I have. <laughs> um, and um, I still also have uh, very young brothers and sisters who needed my mother. And my father at that time had a full-time job. So the only solution at that time, we explored so many options, but the only solution that we were able to reach out that I need to send both of my kids back home until I and my husband finish most of our coursework. I sent both of them back home for a year. Then I couldn't take it afterwards. My mother offered to come here in the U.S. with me, with my little brother, who was at that time five years old, to support me. And my father will take care of the other nine siblings with the youngest back home at that time, around 10 years old. So my mom came and stayed with us for a semester. Um, I think all these experiences had great influence on who I am. Sacrificing for the people you love make a difference in their lives, in their future, in their career. Um, I became a workaholic started at that time. I was registering for courses doubling the course load of my colleague. Um, the funny thing, I'll tell you at that time, my doctoral dissertation was about sleep disturbances in transplant patients, <laughs> and I was learning the software to analyze data. So I wore uh, one of the watches, which was called ActiWatch at that time, and analyzed my own sleep data to check with my advisor if I'm doing the analysis correctly. When my advisor looked at the sleep data, she said, oh my God, this patient has terrible sleep cycle, not sleeping, and went on and on. Then she asked me, which one of your patients had this kind of circadian, terrible circadian rhythm? So I surprised her. That was my sleep data. <laughs> anyway, uh, I learned to cope and I learned to survive uh, long working hours with little sleep. Um, but I believe all the experiences have shaped my identity and made me stronger and very receptive, accepting all people, no matter what, who they are, and being very considerate because all those people, they have so many things in their lives. Maybe they are not sharing these experiences, but always I give the people the benefits of doubt. So how have your experiences as a Muslim woman influenced or informed your nursing career? Uh, you know, um, I worked as a nurse not many years, but most of my experience is as a nurse educator and work with students. And honestly, it's very complex to define my approach with my students based on the fact that I'm only Muslim 
um, I think it's collective of culture, belief, being a mother, a sister, um, how peer raised to appreciate education as a woman. Um, I was raised that I should get a degree, at least a bachelor degree, regardless of my life circumstances. Uh, my mom always said education is your safe passport in life. Need to be independent as a woman and have decent job, especially if you are a woman. Um, definitely, Islam not only influenced my approach with my students, but also as a whole in a life. Um, there are many things in our religion are the pillars um, of my work. Um, my work as uh, previously as a nurse and now as um, a professor. So in Islam that we have a say, if you do work, do it in a perfect way. And our prophet said, uh, Allah, which means God, loves if any of you has done a deed, perfect it. Also, um, in our religion, it says you need to learn until death. And um, we have a, a proverb says that uh, seek knowledge from cradle to grave. And I believe also I'm not only teaching my students, but but also learning from them. Uh, and that based on our prophet say that when someone asked him, who is the biggest scholar? Our prophet replied, uh, he who is constantly trying to learn from others. A scholar is ever hungry for more knowledge. So there are so many things about uh, Islam and uh, uh, education and how to foster, uh, to foster education. And even it just came to a point saying that the best form of worship is the pursuit of knowledge. Um, even our religion told us, seek knowledge, even though it be in China. At that time, you know, China was the furthest country you can reach at that time. And also for us, knowledge is compulsory. So if I'm learning, I'm teaching my students because I think this is one of the pillars of my religion. <clears throat> and ultimately, in our religion, acquiring knowledge, it enables you to, you know, to have the ability to distinguish the right from wrong. And also, uh, it will light the way for you to go to heaven. Heaven, sorry. <clears throat> so has there ever been a time when you felt like someone in a classroom or a clinical setting reacted differently to you than you think they would have if you weren't a woman who wears hijab? Honestly, I'm, I'm fortunate. And um, I cannot remember that I have been exposed to unpleasant experience or treated differently based on my hijab. Um, I lived in the U.S. for around 11 years and um, had trainings and visited uh, non-Muslim countries. And for instance, I went to Sweden, England, Canada. So, and I never had the experience how my look made a difference or if people um, 
treated me differently. I believe that I have been welcomed everywhere. And I think even people were overprotective for me. Um, I had my doctoral study during September 11th. And um, at that time, students, you know, my colleagues, faculty, campus security, everyone reached out to me if they can provide any help. And because they want to be sure that I will not be mistreated. And even they offered they to do my shopping, do everything for me, not to be out by myself. Just ask me to give them the list and they can do everything for me. I said, no, I feel that uh, it's normal life and there is no need to be really overprotective. And that I think it was the worst time. You know, uh, if, if I will be treated differently, it would be at that time, but I never ever had any incidents. Um, I remember when uh, my mom came um, to and stayed with me for a semester, and my mom, she does not speak English. She always had the impression people are extremely nice. Uh, when she's walking in, in the street, saying hi, nodding their heads. Um, so my mom was able to feel it, although she does not speak the language. Um, uh, when I went back home, um, after I finished my doctoral degree, and I told people about my lived experience in the U.S. as a woman with hijab, people felt, oh, my God, it's hard to believe it is true. I never, you know felt hijab was a barrier to anything or even decreased my chances to get anything uh, or was discriminated or anything. Um, I don't know. I never had this experience. Um, I'm fortunate. And you lived not only in a big city, but during September 11th, you were in, was it Nebraska? Yes. So yes. There, this is the other thing which maybe I did not bring up. I lived in the Midwest and people there, honestly, they are not exposed to diversity. And I think I was the only, maybe Muslim, maybe not only woman, or also men in the medical campus at that time. And everyone knows me. Um, we were treated very nicely. And um, that will bring up something. I remember once, um, because I was in Nebraska and my husband, he was doing his doctoral degree in uh, Kansas, so 200 miles apart. And once we were between the two cities and our car broke in the middle of the way, which is in the middle of nowhere. And people just started to stop. Oh my God, can we help you? Can we do this? Can we do that? Oh my God, we just called the triple A and they will come and tow the car. They said, no, you are welcome to come at our houses. Triple uh, A told us maybe will be a couple of hours until the first tow car will uh, arrive us. And people, they offered lunch. You know, our kids were little. I think they were around maybe two and four. Uh, oh, let us take the kids, you know, have lunch, play, and whenever the tow truck, we can drop you back. People offered us to stay with them overnight. Oh, my God, I cannot believe what happened over there. Um, 
And honestly, in the Midwest, you know, comparing to here, life was much easier. And I did not feel there is people, they were looking at me differently. I think a lot of times people have this misconception that big cities, people are very accepting and in the Midwest, they aren't. So it's nice to hear about your experiences in the Midwest. Since you've been in the United States, what are some of the myths or misconceptions that you've encountered regarding hijab and the reasons why some Muslim women choose to wear hijab? You know, I have been asked many questions about my hijab, and I'm always um, be happy to answer those questions. Uh, hijab for women in Islam, it is one of the principles of, of Islam, and it is only for modesty. Um, I think people, when they see uh, a woman with hijab, they assume that women, they cannot make decisions. Uh, they are really not aware that Islam really appreciates women and give uh, women their rights. Uh, maybe cultures, media affected that image. And honestly, if women give the rights that Islam gives us as women, we will live as a queen. Um, for example, and that when I tell people about, they start to laugh about it. Um, if the woman has any earnings during her uh, marital life, you know, if it is investing, investment, property, even your salary or whatever, you have money before marriage or during your marriage, you are not expected by religion to spend any penny of your income on the household. It's entirely yours and it's the man's responsibility to spend money. Um, so there is a responsibility of the husband to support and fully maintain the house. Um, so like it is for you, if you are earning money, it is for yourself. It is just a luxury for you. Um, and also for women and how women is appreciated, our prophet said that anyone who has two daughters, raised and raised them probably, he will be with me, you know, with the prophet in heaven in the same level because he was able to raise two daughters. Mm. Um, our Islams always appreciate women and respect them. And um, um, someone um, asked uh, our prophet about, you know, how to get, to paradise or to heaven. And our prophet said, paradise is at the feet of mother. And always, um, he was saying that, who among mankind is worthy of my kindness and love? And the prophet Muhammad asked, you know, told that person, your mother. Then he asked him again, who's next? He said, your mother. Then ask him the third time, who's next? He said, your mother. Only after the third time, he said, and your father. Hmm. So there is a lot of appreciation for a woman. There is a lot of respect. It's a lot of, but I think it's just the media, uh, some cultures, it's the culture, it's not the religion. Is there anything that you wish healthcare professionals knew about caring for Muslim patients? or anything that you think they need to know? You know, I think 
health care professional in general, they are equipped with good knowledge and skill to deal with diverse population. So as a healthcare professional, always you ask, doesn't matter if it is Muslim, Jewish, or Christian, or whatever, you always ask that patient about their practices. And you appreciate what they ask. So I think there is nothing very specific to Muslims. It is just learning about the diversity. And I think that is tackled very well in the health disciplines. And any final words or thoughts that you want to share? Actually, you know, um, I feel always that, you know, no matter what is my identity or person or identities, uh, we should always accept people who they are. Um, um, you know, I hate that, you know, to think that we can judge people based on their look, their color, their religion, um, always. All people, they have uh, um, the equal opportunities, regardless of their age, sex, religion. And as a healthcare professional, I'd like everyone to have the right uh, to access healthcare. Um, and fortunately, you know, we are in um, a diverse um, a country. And um, I think it's very important to remember always the words of the psychiatrist Henry Stack Sullivan that all of us are much more human than otherwise. Um, I'm just pleased that I'm living in this country and I was treated fairly. And I did, honestly, I do not feel I'm different. And um, and I have all the opportunities similar to other people. Thank you so much, Majida, for being on the show today. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes for today's episode, visit www.em-podcast.com.